Let's acknowledge, first of all, that Medicare is a low payer, as, as everybody in the field knows. Uh, and if you're trying to survive by seeing a lot of Medicare patients, you're going to churn them through in 12-minute visits if, if you're being paid on a fee-for-service claims basis. If you're being paid differently and incentivized to do the things I've been talking about, you can have a smaller patient panel. Hello and welcome to Hymncast. I'm Susan Morse, Executive Editor of Healthcare Finance News. We are pleased today to welcome Susan Denser, who is President and Chief Executive Officer of America's Physician Groups. Welcome, Susan. Susan, it's terrific to be with you. Thank you so much. And we're talking about accountable care today and especially having to do with physicians. And recently you joined a new, uh, not a new network, recently you joined the Healthcare Payment Learning and Action Network and their Accountable Care Action Collaborative called ACAC, I believe. Can you tell us about that, please? Absolutely. So many of your listeners will know about the Healthcare Payment uh, Learning and Action Network, which is a uh, separate nonprofit organization that was set up largely at the instigation of uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services and the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation to have an allied group of organizations that are really committed to moving the nation down the road to value-based healthcare. So the HCP LAN, as it's been called, has been meeting for a number of years uh, to uh, inform everybody about the policies uh, underway within CMS and CMMI to move down the road to value, and also engage uh, the private sector in effect and public, public entities also, other public entities in this movement. Um, recently, the uh, HCP LAN set up this additional organization, as you mentioned, known as ACAC, of industry leaders who also are aligned with the movement to, toward value. And so uh, I was asked to join that group. And what we are doing collectively is continuing to brainstorm on activities that we are already undertaking as organizations uh, in the value-based care domain and worked link arms and work together to expand some of our own initiatives and also to look at areas where we think we can do more to push more of the world toward value. So an example of that is we know that fewer than half of primary care physicians in the country are actually engaged in anything remotely like a value-based care model. Um, that's a real tragedy because we know a lot of the difference in value-based care can and should be made at the primary care level. So how do we get more, uh, particularly small physician practices, primary care practices uh, in, in condition uh, and up to speed about value and in the condition to participate in value-based models? That's a very important objective that a number of us on the ACAC share. And then a secondary area of interest is engaging more employers in value-based care, because as we know, a huge uh, percentage of insurance in this, co this country is provided through employers, or if not insurance, actual coverage, uh, since so many large employers are self-insured. Um, the actual uh, presence of employers in value-based care models is to this day minimal. And many of them uh, 
really have been more content with having, for example, uh, ASO relationships, administrative services only relationships with uh, commercial insurance firms to administer claims and really have not necessarily used their collective weight to push the system to more value. So we want to try to figure out ways to engage more employers in this arena as well. And of course, there are many other organizations that are pursuing the same aims, and we hope to work more with them to accomplish that extremely important goal. I want to ask you more about that. But before we launch in, I'm wondering if you can first tell us about America's physician groups. I'm wondering how many groups belong to the organization and how many are working in value-based care? And are they taking part in CMS models for accountable care? Absolutely. So we at APG represent about 360 large or medium to large physician groups they collectively employ at least 170,000 physicians. We're actually undertaking a count now because we suspect the number is higher. And collectively, they provide care to nearly 90 million patients or roughly one in four Americans. So we have a very, very big footprint in the care uh, delivery uh, going on in America. Our motto is taking responsibility for America's health and that represents the fact that our, our organizations are singularly committed to providing clinically integrated, coordinated, value-based care in which the physician groups themselves are accountable for the cost and quality of that care. So value is the value-based care is the entire reason that our organization we exist as an organization, and it's a complete commitment on the part of our members. Because we've strongly believe that this patient-centered, coordinated, accountable care offers the highest quality and most efficient care delivery in the country, and therefore the best value to patients and to payers and others. Um, so, And we have many members who've successfully operated under these models for several decades. Um, I'll just say a few words more we are really a microcosm in that respect of what physician-led healthcare delivery looks like today in the United States. So for example, we have uh, a number of premier primary and multi-specialty medical groups op that operate in major US cities, Central Ohio Primary Care in Columbus, Ohio, Austin Regional Clinic in Austin, Texas being well, perfect examples. Uh, again, Austin Regional Clinic, almost 500 clinicians operating and caring for a number of patients in the Austin area and, and environs. We have a number of medical groups uh, that started off in life as independent groups of uh, health partners, for example, in California. Now, many of those groups have been bought by Optum, which, as you know now, directly employs or affiliates with more than 75,000 doctors in this country. So a growing presence on the uh, on the landscape. We have a number of practices that started life as innovative startups and are now owned by large public companies. An example of that is Oak Street Health, now owned by CVS, or Iora, which became part of One Medical, which is now itself owned by Amazon. Uh, we also have Care Allies, which is a division of Cigna that supports numerous independent practice associations across the country. We have CenterWell, 
a division of Humana that provides care to older adults. And we have a number of medical groups that are affiliated with large academic health centers, such as Mass General Brigham and UCLA. And we also have large health system affiliated physician groups, uh, such as those who work with Common Spirit, Sutter, Intermountain, Cedars-Sinai, and others. So hopefully that gives you a sense of the scope of our organization and most important, our commitment to value-based care. A very large scope, it, it sounds like. Um, are they all in ACO, Susan, or are they taking part as groups differently in, in value-based care? So the single biggest area of what we would consider value-based care that our groups participate in is Medicare Advantage. Our groups collectively serve about a third of all the Medicare Advantage enrollees in the country. So that's number one. A number of our groups do also participate in a number of the uh, the models that have been brought out over the years uh, under the aegis of CMS or the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation. So for example, we have a number of members who are committed and have been for a number of years to the Medicare Shared Savings Program operated under the CMS mantle. Uh, we also have a number of groups committed and involved and participating in ACO REACH, which of course is was the former direct contracting model that was brought out under uh, the Innovation Center at CMS or CMMI. Uh, we have a number of organizations that have participated over the years in other uh, value-based care models. Uh, so for example, Kidney Care First, uh, another of the models that have been brought out under CMMI, or uh, what was formerly the oncology care model, now the so-called EOM model. Uh, we have a number of members participating in that as well. Uh, so again, uh, if, if you look across the landscape of the value-based care models that have been brought out by CMMI, we have members who've participated in nearly all of them over the years. And of course, as CMS now makes an ongoing commitment to getting everybody in traditional Medicare in an accountable relationship by 2030 and using the MSSP program, Medicare Shared Savings Program, as the main engine to accomplish that, uh, we will uh, continue to have a, a significant footprint in MSSP as well. Well, physicians do very well in ACOs. Uh, CMS released a report that said the best performing ACOs are those that are led by physicians. Um, why is that? Why are they doing such a good job in these? Well, and of course, it's not just CMS um, that that knows that. A lot of the research that has been published over the last uh, uh, five years, in particular, has demonstrated that it's not it's not rocket science. As we know, the single biggest uh, area of healthcare spending in this country is still in hospitals. And of course, that means nowadays hospitals are at large, so it's acute inpatient care, which is remains the most costly area for all good reasons. Um, and then there is a significant amount of hospital outpatient care now delivered. In fact, uh, the sort of dollar volume of hospital outpatient care exceeds the dollar volume now of acute inpatient care. But Basically, it's under overall, it's under the hospital umbrella. Hospitals um, clearly have, and this again is not, it, it's just a statement of the obvious. 
hospitals survive by getting people in their beds and to use their facilities, uh, right? And that remains true, even though a couple of things have changed in the environment. One is we know a lot of care that is of hospital level can actually be provided outside of the hospital nowadays. And that's been the case for some time in areas, for example, like ambulatory surgeries. Uh, but as we know, we've had proof of concept for a number of years that programs like hospital at home are extremely uh, applicable uh, and important to a population of patients who can be given acute level care in the home uh, for less cost and greater patient satisfaction and frankly, in many instances, better outcomes. So if you're a physician who's charged with uh, the uh, cost and quality of the care of a patient, you look at that and say, you know what? I know that there are instances where people really need to be in an acute inpatient hospital, but I also know there are plenty of instances, A, where we should try to avoid having people become sick enough that they need the hospital. So we should spend a lot of resources and time on preventive care. And we should try to avert unnecessary admissions to hospitals. We should make sure that our patients aren't showing up at the emergency department for routine care when inevitably they may well end up hospitalized whether they need to be there or not. So physicians have this incentive. And if they're particularly incentivized under an accountable care relationship around the total cost of care, they're going to be very mindful about making sure that unnecessarily unnecessarily hospice, excuse me unnecessary hospitalization does not take place and avoidable admissions do not take place uh, and that frankly even if patients need to be hospitalized that they get adequate attention post hospitalization so they don't end up back in the hospital uh, not just uh, within 30 days but ever if at all possible so that is just proof of concept that if you incentivize people to do the right thing, they will do the right thing for patients and for, frankly, for the country. Um, you've just outlined the many reasons why value-based care helps patients. How does it help physicians? We keep hearing about physicians being burned out, having to schedule patients 15 minutes apart, not having the time, the administrative burden. Does value-based care help them? Well, I would say two things in particular. A lot of our groups, uh, particularly those that engage in Medicare Advantage, but also this is true of the ACO REACH program as well, uh, because of the way that program uh, essentially steers the incentives to physician groups. They are able, first of all, to have smaller patient panels than is typical for a primary care practice that is living off of fee-for-service-based claims, particularly in Medicare. You know, let's acknowledge, first of all, that Medicare is a low payer, as, as everybody in the field knows. Uh, and if you're trying to survive by seeing a lot of Medicare patients, you're going to churn them through in 12-minute visits if, if you're being paid on a fee-for-service claims basis. If you're being paid differently and incentivized to do the things I've been talking about, you can have a smaller patient panel, um, look, and real smaller, I mean, 600 patients versus 2,000 plus patients. 
You can spend more time with them. You can see them more frequently because essentially you're not you're not trying to churn them through and bill for every visit. You're essentially incentivized to keep them as healthy as possible. You're you're getting a capitated payment in effect to take care of them. Uh, and you're at risk for total cost of care or at least your professional cost of care. So you have the incentive to take better care of patients. And you know what? Our docs really like that. <laughs> they like spending more time with their patients. They like having a sense that they are really coordinating their care, assisting their care, working very often in teams. Uh, and the teams will include behavioral health specialists. There will be linkages to social services that can uh, help address their, uh, their patients' health-related social needs like transportation, access to food, et cetera. They just feel like they're doing a much better job for patients than if they're all living on the hamster wheel of, of, of claims-based fee-for-service volume-generating care. So that's, I think, number one. I think the second thing that they take very, very seriously um, is this feeling of empowerment that comes about when they feel like they are moving the U.S. healthcare system forward and doing a better job, not just for themselves and for their patients, but for the country. Um, and for a number of our folks, if you speak to them about why they got into these models, they got into them obviously because of the frustration of fee-for-service care and the feelings of burnout that you allude to, but also, they feel they felt like they were part they were a cog in a wheel that was spinning in the wrong direction and having a sense that they are contributing to solutions uh, broadly for the country is very empowering for them so those two features uh, combined are a huge motivator for our member organizations and frankly for us at APG well, that leads into my final question. You started the conversation by saying the numbers of physicians who aren't in these value-based relationships. What's the future look like? How can we get more physicians into these relationships? Well, it is a huge transition. Uh, if you think about a small primary care practice, you know, the, as as the as the lingo goes, a onesie or twosie, right? freestanding practice, one doc, maybe a couple of docs. Um, first of all, by and large, they're going to be living in the fee-for-service world. So the exact world I described, right, where unless they have a panel of about 2,000 patients per doc and are seeing people in 12-minute visits, uh, particularly on the, on the Medicare side, they're not making it, right? And so they're going to feel that churning, that burnout, et cetera, et cetera, even as their practice costs are rising ex to extraordinary levels and, and at a pace that particularly over the last couple of years that they could not have anticipated thanks to inflation and the aftermath of the pandemic and everything else. So their practice costs are going way, way up. The demands on them at a level that is required of them now, um, look at most major cities where uh, People nowadays want to be able to book an appointment online. 
right? If at all possible, or certainly younger populations want to be able to book an appointment online, or they want to get a same day appointment. It takes a lot of capability to, first of all, set up an online booking uh, capability. And of course, many don't still have that. Uh, they're not providing after hours care. If you're a patient and you call after four o'clock or five o'clock, you get the answering service telling you if you've got an emergency, go to the ED, right? Um, where you can in most cities now face a three to five to seven to 20 hour wait to be seen, right? Um, so that's not a great system to be operating in. And on top of that, you've had, if you were lucky, you've been able to take advantage, you were able to take advantages of the incentives available to install electronic health records, but there's no money to help you keep those up to date necessarily or expand those capabilities. Um, so you're kind of behind the eight ball there. Uh, and then you're not necessarily in step with the way a lot of people want to live their lives nowadays in terms of convenience of access to health care. Um, I had a brother who moved to the Washington, D.C. area recently and looked for a primary care doc and found one practice that could take him in about five months. Wow. So, you know, this is the reality of, of access now, even in major metropolitan areas. So... You put all that together and you think, so why do people stay in this environment? They don't necessarily have the knowledge or know-how to transition to value-based care models. They don't have the dollars to invest in the transition because keep in mind, you have to be able to take accept some element of risk, even if you're in what is known as an upside-only ar arrangement, uh, which of course is is the case with most people newly getting into value-based care. Um, you still have to redo the way your practice operates. You have to re-engineer the workflow uh, and, uh, and a lot of things that just do not come naturally uh, to small practices. They have to learn how to do this and they usually need assistance in doing it. So putting all that together, what, we, what do we need? We need to be able to invest as a country in these primary care practices. And we now have proof of concept that some of these advanced uh, incentive payments that CMS has made and CMMI have made have helped organizations make this, begin to make this transition. And we need to do even more of that. Susan, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you on HIMSCast. Thank you so much, Susan. Thanks for giving us the chance to tell you about APG and to frankly, bang the drum in favor of uh, making even more movement in this country to value-based care. Our pleasure. Thank you.